Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Efty, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. We are privileged, not just blessed, but privileged each week to have a chance to visit with a man of uncommon intelligence who brings it to bear, well, in so many different ways and on so many different platforms uh, that we're honored to be among them here at Secure Freedom Radio. His name is Gordon Chang. He's one of our country's preeminent experts on China and much in demand at the moment as we're all trying to figure out what on earth is China up to and what are the implications for us. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, among other books. You can follow his work at Gatestone Institute and Newsweek, among other outlets, and of course at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon, it's great to have you back. Welcome, sir. Oh, thank you so much, Frank. You've been writing lately about a couple of things that I wanted to cover with you quickly, Gordon. Uh, One that is of great import, not just for the people and government of China, but uh, perhaps for the entire world, namely food shortages that are taking place in China at the moment. You had a fascinating piece in Newsweek in which you described as the new currency of China, the potato. Talk a little bit about what's going on there and, again, its implications for all of us. The city of Xi'an of 13 million is under a total lockdown, and people have not been able to go out of their homes for food since December 27th. And so many people are going hungry. And what we are seeing is the resumption of barter trade, where people um, who provide services or whatever, as in this case, tutors, um, have basically said, we don't want to be paid in money, um, which can be done through electronic platforms. They want potatoes and they want rice. And other people have also been demanding potatoes in payment for services or goods or whatever. And there's a lot of trading. Um, People are trading some very expensive electronic items for little amounts of food. The story here is not just one of one city under lockdown, but it's over several years. China's food shortages are worsening. And they've become a matter of public concern. Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, had a clean your plate campaign of a couple of years ago, um, ordering cadres to order only certain number of dishes at meals. And, and this is a real indication that China really understands that it's heading into food crisis. Each year, it is projected that China will be less food uh, self-sufficient. And this is creating um, all sorts of Uh, effects on China's external behavior, including its buying of food companies and farmland around the world, including the U.S. Gordon, this is something with which the Chinese have a long and terrible history, particularly under the Chinese Communist Party. And when you say people are hungry, there are actually reports that people are starving in Xi'an. There's an expression you introduced me to that is not an uncommon greeting in China, born of this hard experience. I think you said it, it's something like, have you eaten lately? And what this suggests is that um, there's a potential for problem to be threatening to the regime itself if it isn't brought under control. Which brings me to a couple of things that the Chinese are reportedly doing, namely hoarding food purchased from around the world, um, greatly reducing the supplies that might be available to other nations, uh, buying up agricultural land around the world, including here in the United States, and otherwise possibly putting great stress on the 
supply of food that might be available to others uh, should there be shortages globally, not just in China. Your thoughts on all of that? Uh, China's been ramping up its grain purchases from around the world, and it is uh, hoarding. And and that is starting to cause concern elsewhere. Um, This is uh, important because China just can't feed itself, um, even in the best of times. And we are seeing in China right now, um, uh, for instance, last year and the year before, uh, flooding, which uh, really undercut their uh, ability to produce food. So um, China's solution is just to buy whatever it can. So it's buying farmland in Africa and in the U.S. Midwest, um, also in Texas. It bought um, Smithfield Foods. Um, So this has really been a concerted campaign for the last three or four years. And it is worrying because other countries are are starting to worry that they won't have enough uh, ability. They won't have the ability um, and the sources to buy food for themselves. So um, this is an international issue. China's problems are becoming the problems of the world. As has been the case with COVID, among other things. Um, And Gordon, this uh, point about buying up productive farmland was brought home to me uh, over the weekend, as a matter of fact, by an expatriate from South Africa who said an entire province of that country, including much of its sort of breadbasket agricultural productive land has been essentially surrendered to China for 99 years as part of um, a settlement of debt associated with the Belt and Road Initiative in South Africa. And um, this is not the only place where this sort of foreclosing is taking place, but this one really has, uh, again, profound implications for the agricultural productivity of uh, an important country, not just in Southern Africa, but uh, but throughout that region. Um, let me turn, if I could, Gordon, to uh, another piece of that. I mentioned COVID-19. Uh, we are launching today a campaign aimed at trying to prevent our athletes from being exposed perhaps to a new and even more dangerous strain of COVID, which may account for the kinds of draconian steps that you've just described of the Chinese locking down a city like Qian of 13 million people. Um, We are suggesting that um, the genocide games um, should not be attended by American athletes under these circumstances and have urged people to go to genocidegames.com and sign a letter to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to uh, urge them, in turn, to encourage our athletes not to go. how serious a problem do you think what's happening in China is at the moment in terms of um, health crises? There's even talk about hemorrhagic fever being a problem as well as whatever's developing on their COVID front. Yes, there are reports of hemorrhagic fever in Xi'an. Um, with regard to COVID, uh, there's an outbreak in Tianjin, which is a provincial level city, which abuts Beijing, and they're locking that down as well. Um, and this means that the virus is getting closer and closer to the location of the games. Also, uh, China has reported its first community transmission of the Omicron variant. So there are um, more and more reports that uh, Beijing is losing control of the disease. This is important because um, the International Olympic Committee um, postponed the Tokyo Games, the Summer Games in 2020, 
for one year because of coronavirus concerns. And it seems to me that the, if nothing else, um, they should be postponing the Beijing Winter Olympics also because of disease concerns. Um, now, there are, of course, a lot of other reasons for that, including the fact that China is committing genocide, crimes against humanity, and other atrocities. And also, we shouldn't be fueling a hostile state with the money and the legitimization that an Olympics confers. But putting those aside for a moment, which the IOC has done, um, this is just an issue of the safety of the athletes. And so, therefore, the IOC should, uh, at very minimum, just uh, say, let's let's wait for the end of the disease before the uh, Winter Olympics begin. You know, I've, I've done a commentary today, Gordon, about the prospect that the Olympic Games might prove to be a super spreader event using these athletes as seemingly was done in 2019, October of 2019, specifically with respect to the military games that were held in Wuhan, China and uh, may have been one of the first places where the proliferation of this, uh, uh, what now became a pandemic uh, worldwide, took place. Let me turn quickly to two of your other topics, Gordon, before we run out of time. Um, Kazakhstan, what is going on there at the moment? And what are the Russians and Chinese doing that uh, suggests it's considered to be a problem for both of those um, authoritarian or totalitarian regimes as well. Well, Russia has sent about 3,000 troops, um, and they're under the color of the Collective Security Treaty Organization, CSTO. Um, Putin has claimed that that has uh, quelled the protests, as has the Kazakh government. Um, the death toll officially is 160 people and about uh, 5,000 in detention. We really don't know at this particular time whether those claims are correct. We know that both China and Russia are concerned by what they call color revolutions. Um, they worry about that spreading um, through the region, and so they have taken a very harsh position. And I think that um, you know we're going to find out. Um, but this is one of those things where there was discontent across uh, Kazakh society, and, and that was because of the economic failure there, the hardship. These protests were triggered um, because of the removal of the price caps on liquefied natural gas, which is used to power cars. Prices doubled, um, and so people took to the streets. Those problems haven't gone away. Russian troops or no Russian troops. So this is a story um, which will continue for quite some time. It's like, I think, Hong Kong, which is an insurgency. Um, security forces can quell it for a moment, but they have to uh, continue to apply pressure because people are angry and they will continue to show their discontent. And we will see flare-ups in Hong Kong, as I'm sure we'll see flare-ups in Kazakhstan. Fascinating. I haven't heard much about um, insurgencies in Hong Kong since uh, the national security law was imposed upon the place um, by the Chinese Communist Party. And it will be fascinating to watch whether that plays out, Gordon. Let me turn, though, finally to one other topic that you've been writing about lately, and that is this peculiar posture of the Biden administration with respect to the imperative need to collaborate with the Chinese Communist Party on climate change. Um, this is no longer just the idée fixe, if you will, of uh, John Kerry. Uh, we're hearing the Defense Department's press spokesman saying that the Chinese military threat is 
equally important to the cooperation between the United States and the Chinese government on climate change, which seems unbelievable to me. We also have Kurt Campbell, a longtime denizen of democratic administrations now at the National Security Council, um, insisting that it's the most, climate change is uh, in cooperation with China about it, is the most important element of the decade. What are we to make of all of this, Gordon? You can comment on the, the scientific merits if you choose to, but I'm mostly interested in what you think about how the Chinese are likely to exploit this fixation uh, to our great detriment and their benefit. President Biden believes that climate change, not China, is the number one national security threat. As he has said on a number of occasions, including uh, his speech when he arrived in Europe. Um, also, uh, this is the view that is shared throughout the administration. And that's the reason why Kurt Campbell, who is uh, the National Security Council Asia czar, recently said um, that cooperation with China is the paramount challenge of this decade. Well, Whatever one thinks of climate change, and I do worry about it, but nonetheless, climate change did not kill 838,000 Americans, which is the toll as reported by the Johns Hopkins Resource Center as of today. Um, so I think that there's a fundamental misconception of, of what's occurring. Um, and even if, if one puts climate change at the top of the list of threats, um, uh, coming to agreement with China is the least likely way that we're going to do anything about climate, because um, as we've seen, China does not honor its agreements. The one thing that we can do about climate, which the Biden administration doesn't talk about, and which would have the greatest impact in reducing carbon emissions, would be to relocate manufacturing back to this side of the Pacific, either in the United States itself or in Central America for low-cost uh, manufacturing. And, and the reason is that, uh, as people have reported, 15 of the world's largest container ships pour as much carbon into the air as all the world's car. So if we really want to do something about climate, let's bring it back here. By the way, doing this, whether we do it for climate or not, will have other incidental impacts. One of them is we'll stop feeding a hostile Chinese regime. Also, we will um, go a long way to reducing our supply chain vulnerabilities because our supply chains stretch halfway across the world. And also, this would end the caravans pressing our southern border because people from Central America wouldn't be leaving their societies if they had jobs at home. And we can certainly um, get factories to go back to Central America if we were to change CAFTA, our free trade agreement with the region. Um, it will require them to avoid nationalizing our industries, though. I think it's fair to say um, we're seeing more and more the rise of, well, communists in uh, in the region, in part thanks to the Chinese efforts to encourage that kind of uh, transformation, fundamental transformation of our hemisphere. Uh, Gordon, so much more to talk with you about this. Uh, I, I think your point particularly about the extent to which the Chinese cannot be relied upon to be of help to us on climate change is one of the things that has to be kind of front and center in any such notions that um, we can set aside the threat they pose to us. We can ignore the murder that they've perpetrated just with the COVID business, let alone what they have in mind for us if they have their way. This is folly in the extreme, and uh, I appreciate your clarity on that point among others. Gordon, thanks for your time today, as well as for all of the great work that you do. It's vital that people follow you at 
Gordon G. Chang on Twitter and your writings and appearances, uh, including, of course, those here, which we look forward to having another one of next week. In the meantime, thank you, my friend. God bless you. Keep up the great work. We'll talk with Bill Walton about um, some financial developments in China and what they might mean for you and more right after this.